people will jump right in to start coding and they won't adequately take the time to really think through what is the solution supposed to be. And I think that that's, you know, a really big issue because you waste so much time as we talked about. Hey, Navigators. So here we are with another awesome episode of the Angle Free IT Podcast. I'm your host, Preston Kilburn, and thanks for listening today. So we have a really cool guest on today. And, you know, all my guests are cool, but I, I'm pretty excited to talk with our guest, Sam, today. We've been, we've been trying to set up this interview for a few weeks, maybe even a couple months now at this point. And what Sam does is really interesting, and I think you're going to want to hang around and listen to what he has to say, especially if you do any kind of development or DevOps or even for my network guys, net DevOps. So I am interviewing today Sam Gavis Hewson, and he runs the website bitebybyte.com, which is focused on training people for interviewing at, you know, I the, the stupid marketing buzz is Fang, right? Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, but, but you know, most high-tech companies that do, you know, the CI, CD, continuous development-y type stuff. And he is here to share some amazing knowledge with us and just uh, add a lot of value to your day. So um, I'm not going to keep talking about it. So without further ado, hey, Welcome, Sam. What's up? How's it going? Good, man. Good. Thanks so much for having me. I agree. It's, been, it's taken forever to actually schedule this interview, so I'm so glad that it's finally happening. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, all right. The first question I always ask people is, I ask, just tell us a little bit about you and how you got to where you're at right now. And I think your story is going to be a little bit unique um, because you have such a lot to offer. You know, you're not just another random director with interviewing tips like this. This is like <laughs> your job. So, so tell us what you do. Yeah, for sure. So as you said, I help software engineers interview for jobs and I sort of fell into this because I always, well, I love software development and I love engineering in general. And I think that looking back, I'm not sure that I realized it at the time, but even as a little kid, there was sort of evidence that I was going to be a software engineer. Because when I was in elementary school, we had, I don't know if you've ever used their Lego Mindstorms. They're basically like programmable Lego robots that you can build. And 
I loved oh, doing yeah. these, but I was terrible at actually building anything with Legos. So I always was the one who was sort of relegated to sitting at the computer and actually programming it. And I got, this was in fourth grade or something like that. And I got really into programming these Lego robots and then sort of didn't think anything of it for about 10 years until I got to college. And then sort of computer science was the obvious choice where I was just like, I took intro CS my freshman fall and then I didn't ever have a desire to do anything else. And I was so confused how other people could major in other things because I was like, that just sounds so boring. How could they not want to just program all day? And so I think that like, that was very much a part of me growing up and developing that love for like computers and programming. But then I also always really wanted to start my own business. And I think that there's a degree to which you can do that certainly with coding directly so you could have a you know an agency doing any sort of coding projects working on websites what have you but I really wanted to do something a little different and I graduated from college and went to work at a startup called Yext which is Y-E-X-T and they just went public last year I think um, or earlier this year no last year because it's 2018 now. Uh, and I worked for there for about a year and a half. And one of the things that happened while I was there was that a uh, guy from my school reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm interviewing for jobs. I found your name in the school directory. Can you help me do a mock interview and prepare for my interviews? And so I did that. And it was a very enjoyable experience. And I realized, you know, hey, I spent my entire senior year doing interviews for jobs. I probably did at least two or three interviews a week for the entire fall semester. And so I have a pretty good idea of what this involves and how to do this. So what if I just sort of showed other people how to do the same thing? And that sort of developed into this business of Bite by Bite, where I do work with people, just coaching them through the interview process. And um, so that started back in 2016. At the beginning of 2016, I was doing this part-time for about a year and a half before I decided to make the transition into full-time. And now for almost the last year now, this has been my full-time job. And so I have a course on dynamic programming. I have, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and then I have a ton of videos on YouTube and various other content uh, around interviewing for jobs, basically. So a lot of my listeners are going to have backgrounds like me where they're a little bit more infrastructure focused. Explain a bit the difference between dynamic programming versus just, you know, regular development and, and where you see the future going. And then I'm going to ask a follow-up question. What do people need to start learning about it now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, dynamic programming specifically is a very narrow topic, actually, and it's a specific type of question that you could be asked in your interview. And so just to like back up a little bit and give some context here for anyone. I'm not sure if the interview process is really that similar for more infrastructure IT stuff, but for software development, the interview process basically is you go into interview at the company you sit down with a person and then you have to write code on a whiteboard. So they're going to ask you maybe, how do you print a linked list in reverse order? Or how do you, uh, you know, find the minimum number of coins that it takes to make some given amount of change? And so there are all these 
basically programming puzzles. And dynamic programming is one aspect of this, which is really a technique for optimization. And what dynamic programming affords you is that you can optimize your code by reducing the amount of repeated computation that you're doing. So for example, if you were computing the nth Fibonacci number and you did it recursively, you would say, let me compute the Fibonacci number of n minus one and the Fibonacci number of n minus two. And then when you compute the Fibonacci number of n minus one, you're also computing the Fibonacci number of n minus two as part of that. And so you're actually doing that same computation multiple times. And what dynamic programming does in a nutshell is that it allows you to cache those values so that you're not recomputing them over and over again. And you're gaining a potentially large amount of efficiency in your solution or in your code by not doing that. And I totally forget what your second question was, so you're going to have to remind me. <laughs> it's all good. So the question is, what are the skills that people need to start focusing on now, especially if they do developments? Although I'm just going to go on a sidebar tangent, and I I have the feeling that there's going to be two realms of technical people. There's going to essentially be the infrastructure handyman, and then there's going to be people that program. And I I foresee that happening sooner rather than later. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just don't see specializations outside of code within maybe a decade, maybe two, because I literally, you know, I don't, I, I'm curious to hear your feelings on that, Sam, but, but we can get, we can circle back to that. I guess my, my original question was what do people need to focus on learning like right now? Like what is a good thing to start learning if they already develop and they want to start learning these skills? Yeah. I mean, I think we should definitely circle back around to that, but um, in terms of the skills that you need to learn, I think that the thing that is, most undervalued by people who are particularly people who are preparing for interviews is the fundamentals of computer science. And this sounds really stupid, but the fact of the matter is that all of these problems are going to be based on your basic data structures and algorithms. So, you know, you need to know your sorting algorithms. You need to know what a hash table is. You need to know what a linked list is and how to implement it. And I think that if you're starting out going into these interviews, you need to treat preparing for the interviews as its own separate skill. Because interviewing is not the same skill as being a software developer. And I think that there's, when I go online, I always see people complaining about whiteboard interviews. And I think the reason behind that is that people want them to be the same thing. They want the job of software engineering to be the same as the interview process for software engineering. But that's just not possible. And that's never going to be the case, no matter what sort of job you do. And so you need to treat it as its own skill and you need to prepare for it as such. So the Number one thing that I think everyone needs to spend more time on, especially those who are further out of school or those who have done coding boot camps where you don't do the theoretical background, is to study the fundamentals. And like a couple good ways to do that are there are a bunch of free courses online that are you know, open courseware courses where some university has recorded a course and they give access to it 
online. So MIT has a course on data structures and algorithms. Princeton has one, which I took when I was an undergrad. And so I know that that's a good option. And going through, I know Stanford has one as well, going through these and treat it, treat it like you were actually studying as an undergrad. So get the textbook, which is something that like people are just going to watch the videos and then they're going to be, oh, that wasn't really helpful, but it's because you didn't put in the hard work. And you don't have to put in the hard work to get a job, but you do have to put in the hard work if you want to get the job at Amazon or Google or Facebook. And these companies are so competitive that it's like, if you don't put in the hard work, someone else is going to put in the hard work and you're making a six figure salary. So it's worth it to put in that hard work if you're going to get that amazing job. And so I think that just being conscientious about the fact that it does take a lot of effort and putting in that effort and being willing to, you know, accept that it's going to be a process is really the most important thing when you're preparing for interviews. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, we'll, we'll throw the links to, you know, Sam's preferred Is it pronounced MOOC? MOOC. Yeah, I think that's right. (laughs) I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, your preferred MOOC, we'll throw that in the show notes, but I I just have to completely reiterate what you said. Like people get frustrated because they, I, I, I see two things, right? In my, in my career, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and I, I see the people who are in their career and they're about my age and they're frustrated because they're like, man, I never really got above, you know, an admin level position or, you know, regular developer or, you know, help desk. But it's exactly what you said. They don't put in the hard work. And the thing is, is if you don't put in the hard work or if you only do it once, it it only, I mean, yeah, it's like, do you ever play car racing video games, Sam? Love car racing video games. And I have a friend who's absolutely obsessed. Okay. So it's like, it's like the cartoony ones where you hit like the little speedy arrow things on the track or whatever. Like you can't. So you mean the best kind, right? The the best kind, like Mario Kart and stuff like that. Right. You can't win the game unless you hit all the speedy arrow things. Like it's just, it's not really possible. And that's what I think continually reinvesting in yourself does. And, you know, absolutely. You know, my listeners who are newer may not know this, but, you know, one of my episodes that I talked with Jeff Snyder, I think it was episode nine or 10 ish, um, I talk about me being the guy who was like, well, I, hey, I have my, you know, I have my CCNA and I, I have all these base level certifications and I let them lapse because I'm like, ah, I'm good. And, that wasn't enough. And I got let go because I was looked at as irrelevant when things got tough. So I, I totally agree. Okay. So let's full circle. Let's, let's go back to my tangent because you seemed excited by it. And I, I know I have very strong opinions by it. I think everything as software is our imminent future. Tell me your thoughts, Sam. Yeah. I mean, I think that you know, you sort of started out, especially, you know, when computers were developing with things where specialized hardware was so essential because stuff just wasn't efficient enough. And, you know, with Moore's law and with the progression of technology over time, and just with the prevalence of more and more tools available out there, it's like software is just becoming so much more powerful, right? Like everything is moving online. We're doing this call online because it's just, 
easier to do it this way than have any sort of like physical hardware or anything really to do it. And it just, yeah, I definitely, I see things moving in that direction. And I think that that's something that we should be excited about because especially as anyone listening who is really a software developer, or even someone who does more networking IT stuff and wants to move into software development, which I've seen a lot of, it's, you know, the opportunities are endless for you to do something that interests you too. It's not just that there are endless opportunities for jobs, but it's endless opportunities for doing specifically what you want to do. If you want to do like VoIP stuff, you know, there is a software ecosystem for that. And so you can get really specific in what you want to do, even within the realm of like doing software development. So I definitely think that's a, you know, that's the way that things are going. Absolutely. And it's so funny, you know, uh, a number of years ago when I was, yeah, I found myself with the opportunity to look for a new job. <laughs> it wasn't my choice, but uh, it's okay. And uh, one of the things one of the things that just seems so odd at the time, but now I see it all the time because I, I do have, you mentioned VoIP. I do have a voice background, even though I, I don't really do voice anymore. It's not, it's not my jam anymore. I just, it, it's not exciting to me. But one thing that came up time and time again that they couldn't find people to do is development on SIP, uh, the session initiation protocol. And, um, and I'm seeing more and more of that now with the job, the, job recs that I get that get forwarded to me, um, it may be like, oh, hey, we need you to do SD-WAN. We need you to do software-defined LAN. We need you to program in Ruby to be part of a DevOps team. And, you know, those are not, those were just so not common, even two or three years ago, but now they're very common. Like, I, I feel like that is definitely the new norm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just having those skills is, such a valuable thing, right? Because there's, even even if it's not something that you're necessarily using on a daily basis, you know, I use my just programming skills in general for all sorts of things. If I just want something to be a little bit easier for myself, I can use those programming skills. If I want to do some complicated Excel spreadsheet, having those programming skills makes it much easier for me to figure out how can I actually create these rules within the cells to do what I want to do. Like it, it carries over to almost everything. I wholeheartedly agree, especially with so much of our lives being facing a screen. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and that's just, that's a reality. I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy that's like, especially for my listeners, like this is literally what I do. I will always spend 10 to 15 hours a day in front of a screen, unless I'm on vacation or camping or something like that's what I do. And I think that's what most people will end up doing despite our, you know, reticence to get there. I just think it's the way that things are going. So let's, let's circle back. I want to kind of talk about the things you do specifically, Sam, in your, in your course that you have Mm -hmm. sort of walk us through what that course is. And if people were interested in it, like, you know, sort of not, not a hard pitch, but give us your pitch on, on why you think people should go through your course. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. So with the course, as I said, the course is on dynamic programming. And this is really one just narrow field of the software engineering interview for any of these big companies. But the thing that I found and the reason why I created this course originally was that more than any other single topic, this is the topic that people struggle with. And I think the big reason that people struggle with it is just that it's slightly it's counterintuitive in the sense that you have to come up with a inefficient solution to get to an efficient solution. And you can't start by going to that final solution and trying to figure out and trying to just figure it out directly. You actually have to follow a process. And the point of this course and the reason I created this course was to teach people a process. And so I actually define in the course, and I also have a free ebook if people want to check out, it's just dynamicprogrammingbook.com, uh, which will give you some of the overview of all of this. And then if you want to get in more depth, you can look at the course. But I outline this method called the FAST method. So it's F-A-S-T, which stands for finding the first solution, analyzing the solution, identifying the sub-problems, and turning around the solution. And so basically, this is a methodology that takes you from finding a brute force solution to a problem all the way through optimizing the problem, figuring out if you can even use dynamic programming for this problem, because there are a lot of problems for which dynamic programming isn't useful. And then identifying whether you can use dynamic programming and then actually applying those techniques to the problem. And so in the course, what I do is I walk through this methodology and then I walk through the methodology in an applied sense. So I have about, I think there are six or seven different problems that I walk through in video format where I very clearly show how are we applying all these steps? Because it's a very routine thing once you figure out how to do it. But if you're just looking at the high level or you're just looking at the solution and the problem, you're never going to be able to connect the dots between the problem and the solution. And that's the real problem. So with the course, the whole point of the course and the reason I created the course was to show people that there's a clear system. And if you know what the system is, it's very easy to do. But if you don't have a system and you're just trying to connect the dots yourself, it can be very, very difficult to actually connect the dots from beginning to end. And so that's really the goal of the course. And that's why I created it. I feel like you explained fast, but let me reiterate what I think I heard because I'm I'm just, you know, my curiosity is... Go for it. So (laughs) tell me really quick, like, what are differentiators between, you know, finding that initial brute force solution and seeing if you can do dynamic, you know, dynamic programming method to do that? Like, explain... Explain some of like if it's possible. You may go, yeah, dude. No, that, that takes too <laughs> much time. But give give us a like a couple tips to figure out like can this be dynamically programmed or do I just yeah. have to write the thing fifty times? Yeah. So I actually have a couple specific things that I look for when I'm trying to determine whether a program whether a problem can be dynamic or not. And so there, there, is an, there is a technical definition of dynamic programming or of problems that can use dynamic programming, which is that they have optimal substructure and that they have overlapping subproblems. And so optimal substructure basically means that you can break the problem into smaller subproblems 
And by finding an optimal solution to each of those subproblems, you can find the solution to the overall problem. And then overlapping subproblems is basically what it sounds like. You have multiple subproblems that are the same. And so that's, those are the two characteristics that you need for a problem if you want to use dynamic programming. But the things that I generally look for are minimization, maximization, and optimization. So any problem where you can, well, actually, so I'll use those. And then the real thing that I say along with that is, could I solve this problem by enumerating every possible solution? So for example, like let's say that you wanted to find the shortest path between, like on a map between my house and your house. You know, you could enumerate every possible route from one person's house to the other. That wouldn't be an efficient way to do it, but you could do it. And I find that when, and then the way that you could solve it from there is that you would just, you could just enumerate every path and then just check which is the shortest. Right, it, it would be an inefficient solution, but it would work. And if you can use a similar technique for whatever the problem is that you are trying to solve, then there's a very good chance that you can use dynamic programming for it. And so at that point, I recommend trying to find that brute force recursive solution and then applying the you know, strict definition of dynamic programming. So seeing if it has that overlapping substructure uh, and sorry, overlapping subproblems and optimal substructure. And then if you find that, then obviously you can move on to the next steps. But I think it's really critical, sort of as you highlighted, to have a just a quick way to see if something even applies. Like if you can even apply dynamic programming to a problem, because otherwise you could end up wasting a ton of time trying to optimize your problem while not actually being able to even find any real solution because there is no optimal dynamic programming solution for that problem. Gotcha. And I could see how that would be a, a time trap in an interview. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's it's funny because I, I feel like that is ever so prevalent in technical interviews, right? The, the the problems that I see, you know, that I, you know, I coach people, but obviously not with programming, um, but more with, you know, interfacing and talking about architecture, that sort of stuff. And, you know, I, I, I see that we tend to, you know, spend maybe five minutes dealing with the niceties like tell me about yourself do you like long walks on the beach that that sort of crap and then we do two different sets of things like number one do you waste time and number two do you freak out when you're in an uncomfortable situation and i i think i think knowing that and being prepared for that helps so much when a candidate goes into an interview going, yeah, no, the point is to make you uncomfortable. And the point is to figure out like, are you going to freak out when everything is broken and there's 20 people staring at you? Cause that, that happens, uh, you know, it yeah. absolutely happens several times in everybody's career. And I think that the key thing is 
having a plan for these things when you go into your interview. And that's the thing that people don't have. It's the whole Mike Tyson, like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. You know, you need to have a plan that you can actually stick to and you need to practice sticking to that plan. So like, for example, I'll tell people, you know, I don't even want you to write any code for the first 10, 15 minutes of your interview. And when I say 10, 15 minutes of your interview, I'm not including the niceties. I'm including the, they told you the problem that they want you to write code for. You should not be writing code for the first 10 or 15 minutes. You need to actually take the time to really plan clearly and you know, know what you're gonna do because otherwise you waste massive amounts of time doing the wrong thing. And like this dynamic programming is a perfect example. If you work through the problem without writing the code, you're not gonna spend all this time trying to write code that can't be written. And that's like such a critical thing because time management in an interview is like one of the most important things that you can do. And it's not something that people think about. Definitely. So I wanna talk about what is the difference between your your course and coaching like what is difference between what is the difference between those two processes yeah so uh i do do one-on-one coaching in addition to having my course and the course is a very narrow specific thing whereas the coaching is much more general so the way that coaching works, since I already described how the course works, is that I'll meet with I'll meet with people. I try and do roughly once a week, and I will do a combination of mock interviews and coaching calls. And so, mock interviews I think are absolutely critical. And there are a bunch of options for doing mock interviews out there. Like there are sites like Pramp where you can get partnered with someone else to do a mock interview. There's interviewing.io. But the difference between those mock interviews and what I do is that I focus on the continuity where you're actually meeting with me multiple times and you're doing mock interviews multiple times over the course of several weeks. So I can, I can develop a really good sense for what it is that you are good at and what it is that you are struggling with. And by doing that, I'll actually help you to identify here are the things that you are struggling with and here we can develop systems that will help you to stop struggling with them as much. So like to give you an example, one of my early students that I worked with had this issue where he would be working on a problem and then he would just get really lost in the weeds with the problem. So he'd be writing a for loop and trying to figure out whether or not, you know, it should be, it should go be like less than I or less than or equal to I, something really minor like that. And he would have trouble figuring out what the right thing was because he was so focused on this specific block of the code that he couldn't, you know, sort of zoom back and see it in the big picture. And so when we identified this, we basically gave him some stop points where as soon as he started getting stuck, he said, okay, I know that I need to take a step back, zoom out and look at how I can approach things differently. And by doing that, he was actually able to get an internship and then a job from that internship. And I'm really, I was so excited to see just like these little tweaks. It's not something major. I don't, I shy away from helping people when they're too early on in the process because I don't think it's a good use of their money or of my time since there are so many good resources out there. What I really help people, so like if you haven't learned if you are like just fresh out of a boot camp and you still need to study all of your data structures and algorithms, then you might not be the best fit. But if you're 
already into your interview prep and you've been doing prep on your own and you want to refine it to the next level, that's where I really like working with people. Because those are the people, I love working with people who are super dedicated. You have to do work on your own when we're when we do coaching together. I'm going to guide you, but I can't tell you, I can't make you do a good job, right? I have to just guide you along the way and show you what to do. So I love people who are really motivated and people who are making progress on their own, but just want to accelerate that progress because that's what coaching is going to do. And that's why I love, I mean, I love coaching for all number of things. I, you know, I, I've been learning how to play guitar and I have a coach for that too. And I think that just having someone to guide you along the way is so important. So I do mock interviews and then I also do coaching calls, which are slightly different, which are more of a chance for us to dig in deep with any problems that people are having. So that can be an opportunity to, you know, talk about those things that we've been seeing in mock interviews or dig into any questions. I mean, people tend to have questions, right? It's a process that you don't necessarily know what to expect. This is a process that I've been through both myself multiple times. I've been on the other side of the table multiple times interviewing people when I was at my old job. And then I've also just worked with so many people who have gone through this process that I just have the context for like, if you don't know what to expect, just ask. And I can tell you, I can give you a much better sense of what to expect. So that's sort of the way that I do coaching. And that's, I think that it's a really valuable thing for people who are looking to really take their interview prep to the next level. It's not like a small investment. You know, I do charge a lot for my coaching, but the people who I work with have seen great results. Like I've had people get jobs at Amazon, Uber, Bloomberg, eBay, and the list goes on. And so it's definitely something where, you know, if you want to really see strong results and you're willing to put in the time and effort, coaching is a great way to take that to the next level beyond anything that you can do on your own. Yeah, I I absolutely 100% agree with you. You know, it's, it's a lot of what I do when I coach people because, you know, it's always amazing to me that sometimes people just have a hard time understanding the value of a coach until you've been through the process or you see somebody who's gone through the process, which I'm glad that you highlighted some people that have gone on to some like big name places because, you know, it's, it's hard for people to say, well, you know, how do I know I'm spending my money on this you know, my, my favorite was somebody, somebody, I was talking to somebody about coaching. They're like, ah, that's crazy hippie crap. And I'm like, well, it's (laughs) crazy hippie crap that works. So maybe I'll take any crazy hippie crap as long as it works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, all right. Just before we sort of wrap up here real quick, we, you talked a little bit about getting lost in the weeds. Um, and spending too much time, what's like another one or two failures you, t- you seem to see are repetitive for candidates in these types of interviews? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, if people want to hear all of my top failures, they can look. I did a blog post on this recently, which I can send you the link for. Um, but two of the biggest ones that I see are, first of all, not adequately thinking through a problem when they are starting out the interview. So I sort of alluded to this already, but people will jump right in to start coding and they won't adequately take the time to really think through what is the solution supposed to be. And I think that that's, you know, a really big issue because you waste so much time as we talked about and you don't, 
take the opportunity to really clarify what the solution is going to look like. So especially when you're writing on a whiteboard, you know, you want to be super organized because you don't want to have to erase stuff and rewrite. And, you know, basic issue that comes with not planning out your code is that you end up not leaving enough room for something that you needed there. And then you have to erase half of it or you have to draw arrows all over the place. So it's like a super basic thing, but planning out your solution goes a huge way to helping you to succeed in your interviews. And then the other thing that I hear from people all the time is, you know, I don't know how to, like, I I couldn't come up with a solution. And Part of the problem that I see there is that people try and come up with an optimal solution right away. And as I mentioned with the dynamic programming stuff, that's just not always the right way to do it. And actually it's rarely the right way to do it. Because if you think about it, you're way better off coming up with a complete inefficient solution than you are coming up with an incomplete and optimally efficient solution. Because if you come up, if you don't finish your solution, your interviewer never sees part of your process. You know, part of the process in the interview is testing your code and making sure that everything's correct and, you know, sort of tying everything in a neat bow. And if your interviewer never sees that part, it's really hard for them to judge you completely. Whereas if you write slightly inefficient code, at least they can completely judge, you know, how you performed as a whole. And so I tell everyone, you know, start by just naming a brute force solution to the problem. Anyone should be able to come up with a brute force solution for almost any problem. And if you can't, then you need to go back to your fundamentals because really coming up with a brute force solution should be very easy. And one of the things you can do if you're really struggling with a brute force solution is try working through the problem by hand. So like, let's say that I told you I wanted you to multiply or add two numbers together, but you couldn't use like addition or something. I don't know what it is. Uh, you could do like longhand addition on a piece of paper and see, hey, this is what I'm actually doing to add these two numbers together. I'm, you know, carrying the one and how do I translate that into an algorithm? And by coming up with this initial brute force solution, it just gives you a jumping off point for the rest of your interview. So like I recommend people take roughly, if you had an hour long interview, you take about five minutes to understand what you're five minutes or less for like pleasantries, understand the question, you know, ask any clarifying questions you might have, then take less than five minutes after that to come up with a brute force solution and then take five minutes to try and optimize that solution. So basically the first 15 minutes, after the first 15 minutes of your interview, you should have a brute force solution and you should have the most optimized solution that you could come up with after 15 minutes. And then at that point, you say to your interviewer basically, hey, so I think this is the this is a pretty good solution. I'm gonna code that, I'm gonna start coding up. I'm gonna start coding that up now. Does that sound good to you? And when you say, does that sound good to you? Then you're, it's giving your interviewer the opportunity to guide the interview. And in terms of time, as going back to that again, your interviewer may be thinking, hey, this person found the most efficient solution. You know, it may look like there's a more efficient solution, but there isn't. So I want them to start coding. And they'll say like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's start coding up the solution. Alternatively, if they really wanted you to come up with a more efficient solution, they might say, well, I think maybe there's a better solution or why don't we take a few more minutes to look? And 
that will give you the opportunity to know that, you know, there's probably a better solution out there. And it tells you that you actually should keep looking. So after that, after that 15 minutes, then you can go into the coding and you should test your code and all of that. But it's that first 15 minutes of your interview that really makes a huge difference. And so, you know, those are, I think the two biggest things that I would say for people are coming up with a brute force solution and then planning out your solution before you actually write the code. Nice. So just as we end here, Sam, how can people find you? Yeah, uh, so you can check out my site is bitebybyte.com and that's B-Y-T-E dash by dash B-Y-T-E, which is not the best domain, but that's okay. You can also check me out on Twitter at bitebybyteblog, which is all one word. I think those are probably the two best places to find me. And if you want to check out my ebook, you can go to dynamicprogrammingbook.com and just put in your email and you get that as a free download. And we've had over 3,000 people download it at this point and got a lot of really good feedback on that. So I think you should definitely check it out if you're interested. (laughs) I I definitely agree. I've looked at it. It's fantastic. Well, Sam, thank you for taking... I am learning the English today. Thank you for taking time to to share your wisdom with our listeners. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, folks, if you want to get into this arena, seriously, Sam's program is pretty awesome. Um, I, I think you will find good success. And I love that he offers the coaching. So if you're considering moving to that next level, maybe consider that because, you know, I have been you know, the recipient of good coaching. And I cannot overstate how amazing coaching is. Um, We'll we'll leave links uh, in the show notes to go find uh, Sam's work. Uh, We hope, I hope you've had a great day and we'll talk with you soon. Hey, welcome back. How are you navigators doing? I just wanted to welcome you to summer and to say thanks for sticking with the show. We're having a great summer. And as you may have noticed, there's a, there's a few weeks pause there. I am in the middle of moving and my studio is a little bit torn down now as we move from one place to another. But we have so many episodes coming and I am really excited. So I'm hanging out with, with my kids at the pool. And if you have kids, do the same. If you don't, find a loved one, go hang out with them. If uh, you're not taking your loved ones lately, hey, go find a meetup. Go find some cool people to hang out with and have a great summer. And I'm excited to share some really awesome guests with you coming up, including none other than Megan Roddy, who is talking about using her autism as a superpower. So, you know, we got some really awesome things that um, affect us in technology, and I'm excited for it. And I hope your summer's going great like mine is. Talk at you soon. Later.